so Wilma, we're talking about uncontrollable rage. Yes. You know, we've been having such great topics, uh, and uh, we try to keep them filled with hope, (laughs) but we are going through tough things, and so we are going through tough things as a church. We want to talk about it. We want to talk about how you're doing and what you might be experiencing and what we're seeing in the world, and it's, I don't think it's a coincidence that we've been talking about what's been happening because of COVID, and that's when we started the series, and Uncontrollable Rage was there right from the beginning that we were going to talk about Uncontrollable Rage, and then... Bop, bada, bop. All of a sudden, we have a we have the global COVID is turning into a global expression of anger. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence. And I'm going to be talking about that not being a coincidence. Um, so I don't know what you're going to say about that. But yeah, talk okay. about that. Well, maybe yeah. I'll just pray for you. Father, thank you for Wilma. I uh, just bless her to have words that uh, we need to hear this morning about um, how to go through everything. And... Uh, we just have a fire alarm going off. I don't know if we have... Uh, should we run? Should we run? <laughs> we no, will see. Natasha's run You for know, us. We, had, we, we used to do a spirit room in the Holiday Inn, and one morning the fire alarm went off, and we were just praying for fire. We were praying for the Holy Spirit, and, uh, well, there's no screams, so I think we're okay. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we just pray fire over Wilma. We pray that uh, she would have the fire of the Lord on her and on our church, uh, so much so that, yeah, even the natural fire alarms would go off. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so bless you to speak. I'll get out of your way. Okay, thank you very much. It's good to be here, and there is no coincidence in all of this. We know that it's God's leading, and even that we're talking about this. This is the 11th week. Oh, wow, it's gone fast. You know, when our daughter was murdered, we said we would forgive. And that was the mood that we were in. We were we had seen the trauma we didn't realize what was ahead of us, so we just kind of took God's word for us, saying that we're going to forgive. We saw the trauma. We, we were going to forgive. That was going to be our response. And so the police came around all the time, and they were watching us, and they were, you know, working on the case. And then one man says, you know what? You're very peaceful. You're very forgiving people. But he says, just wait. Just wait till the trial comes. Just wait till it really hits you, and then we'll see the anger. And I just looked at him, and I thought, really? Is this real? Does he know something I don't know? Well, he did. It wasn't that much later, when everything was starting to hit us, that somebody said, well, where where is there going to be equity for you now? And I was starting to feel the injustice of it. And I just said, there is no equity here. Because if he died, that wouldn't be, whoever took our daughter, if he died, that wouldn't be enough. There would have to be something more. Ten child murderers would have to die. And I still wasn't satisfied. And then I said, and I would have to pull the trigger. And I, in my mind's eye, I actually killed 10 people and felt really, really good, really delicious. So I went to our group at that point and I said, do you have revenge fantasies too? Like these were new to us. And they said, oh yeah. And then, they, then we talked about them. Anger is real. And it's natural and it's normal response to what's happening around us. And I think that we talk about murder as being, you know, revengeful and all that. We understand that. But racism is dreadful. You know, I'm a white privileged woman, and um, I didn't understand any of it. And and in my job that I worked with, we would travel quite a bit, and I would sometimes tour uh, people of different colors to different cities. And... um, 
and because that was in a large group, I kind of melted in. I too was considered colored. And we were at the mercy of um, service hospitalities, and uh, so we'd go into, we'd constantly be going into restaurants, constantly going into taxis, constantly, you know, into hotels and this kind of thing. So we were at the at the mercy of the uh, of the people that are supposed to be courteous and serving us. I was shocked. Usually, I can go into a restaurant and say, "I'd like to, you know, be in that place by that window," and they would always listen to me. I was always. I, oh, I've gotten such good service over the years when I travel that just traveling is, is no hassle. But when I was traveling with this, these groups, it was horrible. I, the, the restaurants were closed on us. We always sat on the worst table. It was constant. And, and when we, we, when we took the shuttle back to the airport, they dropped us off in no man's land. <laughs> And I and it was so constant I couldn't deny it and and every once in a while I would my anger would come up and said no we're not treat you're not treating us well I and ordinarily I would have said something and I know that they would have complied because they're taking our money but in this case the the people that I was with were saying no don't don't Wilma hang loose <laughs> don't you dare blow up and I just couldn't believe and in some ways they would they would laugh at me because I was so so hyper about this and trying to control myself and then when I came home I I remember a weekend of this and I was just tired just tired racism has a way of just making us tired and depressed and then the anger oh the anger of being any injustice Racism, sexism, murder, violence, criminal behavior, any of that, sexual uh, abuse, emotional abuse, all of those, the natural response is anger. And in some ways, it's a good thing to be angry. It means we have energy. I'm going to move Wilma a little bit more to the middle. Okay. Well, I'm almost finished. We want to hear you. <laughs> so you've got to come closer to the mic. Okay. And so uh, I just want to say that you know, it's a natural response, and it is, but when we are really hurt, it's really heightened to the point where it can be uncontrollable. We respond in an uncontrollable way, and I think that in this last few weeks, we've seen both. We've seen the uncontrollable anger, and we've seen controlled anger. And there is a place for the controlled anger, and I, I want to just give uh, encourage all, every one of us to, to react to these situations with controlled anger, and that will deal with the issue rather than heighten it. Jesus, God says that through Paul, he said that be angry but sin not. And that is, I think, the, the kind of place where we have need to be. As, as where I came from when I was growing up, I was told never to be angry. You know, you never are angry. You never show any emotion. And that's not right either. We need to say and express. What, but when we see something unjust happening, we need to say, just a minute. This is not right. To kill somebody is not right. To hurt somebody is not right. To call somebody down is not right. But then to negotiate, to, to work at it, to, to honor the people. God, God is colorblind. God doesn't see man and woman. He doesn't see child and, and, and adults. He just loves everybody and sees their soul. And I think that's where we have to arrive at, where we, where we become honoring of each other, knowing that 
yes, anger is good and actually it's full of energy. It's full of endorphins. And it's so good to sit there and be there and address everything with anger and in rage. But to sit back and say, no, there's a better way. There's a way of loving, reaching for that which is higher than our natural reactions. Bless you. Well, thank you, Wilma. Okay. Uh, here we do it again. Here we do our little transition. <laughs> yes. I hope people can hear us. We were having some comments, so hopefully... Oh, okay. I'm that's sorry. That's why I, I came when over. When I'm angry, I... <laughs> Oh, quiet. I'm so, so concerned about controlling my anger. I'm wondering, like, do I need to change it or am I just louder? I think, no, I don't know. No. I think I'm just louder. I go louder. quiet. I go quiet when I talk about uh, anger. Well, thank you for that. Um, and I know we're in such a tough time right now. And uh, so could you pray for me? I, yes. I'm actually, this is an interesting message. I want to say it well. And uh, yeah. Oh, dear God, we want to enter. Help us. Oh, help us. Oh, Lord, I just pray that you'll enter into this moment, be with Cyrus. Mm -hmm. We know that he's been working hard, over mm -hmm. hard, and we want him just to stay already in, enter into that place of rest. And as he's doing this, to give us the words that you've given to him already and to to relax in it and to mm -hmm. have the peace about it and the freedom mm -hmm. to talk about what's in his heart, in your spirit. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Wilma. Okay. So, let me see. I'll just spend a second. You're all going to be like, Cyrus, you don't need it louder, but I'm going to see what I can do. And to bring this closer, there's the mic. You're never supposed to see it, right? But maybe if I do some things, it'll be a little closer. I'll come closer. Okay. Uh, so we wanted, um, uncontrollable rage. Anger can be anger's energy. Anger's addictive and it can grow over time. And it's generally a problem. And I think one of the more common messages that we hear when we talk about anger is we, t we hear people talking about how anger is good or it can be good. And cause that's just this really interesting and difficult um, kind of dynamic with anger is that so often it's unhelpful and yet it's also a godly emotion. And so how do we deal with that? And I wanted to talk about that, but I wanted to talk about it in a bit of a different way. And um, one of the passages that really inspired this was, um, oh, thanks, Margaret. She's saying that the sound is better. So I'm happy. Good. So Revelation 3 verse uh, 14, this is the one of the um, letters to the churches and we're actually going to be doing, our plan right now is actually to do a series on Revelation in September and um, so I'm really excited about that and um, we've been doing a lot of like issue based in terms of kind of over since COVID started in, in issue based messages, um, still biblical but issues, you know, starting with issues. And so I think we're going to transition to kind of um, more like in starting with uh, different scriptures starting and we're going to be working our way through the book of Revelation, which is going to be challenging. Um, but anyway, uh, this is Revelation 3 verse 14. And the angel of the church of Laodicea um, in like, write, the word uh, of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Uh, verse 15, I know your works. 
you are neither hot, sorry, you're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Um, and it goes, goes on. I, I don't think I'm going to focus uh, as much on um, what it says after that, but basically they think that they're doing well and they're not. And um, I want to talk today about how to be or how God wants us to be an emotional people. He doesn't want us to be unemotional. He doesn't want us to be cold. He doesn't want us to be lukewarm. He wants us to be hot. Obviously, he seems to prefer cold rather than lukewarm, but I think he wants us to be fervent for him, and he wants us to be experiencing emotions like him. And so, um, Wilma's talking about uncontrollable anger, and um, I think that that's something that I, I want to experience uh, anger without having to control it. Um, which I believe is very challenging, like extremely challenging as a human being. Almost unattainable, but I believe that it's a goal is to experience anger that we don't have to control. And so that's going to be, if you don't understand what I'm saying, that's okay, because that's like the whole message is trying to unpack that idea. And um, to have like pure and righteous anger. And, um, and we don't want to be cold, because I think sometimes what happens is we work to really control our anger, because we're called to control it. And so then we end up experiencing coldness, like nothing. And nothing is what we're looking for. And we don't want to be cold. We want to be hot. We want to be experiencing God's feelings. We want to be experiencing God's feelings because it helps us to connect with him. It helps us to connect with his heart and it helps us to connect then in intercession. So this is kind of a message that's focused on helping us to be a people that are hot, which I think we are. Uh, Maple Crest is a church that has emotion, that has fervency behind it. We're people that really want to go after God's heart. And how do we maintain that while maintaining righteousness? How do we maintain that so that we can intercede? Because I don't think it's a coincidence that we have a fervent people and we also have a people who want to intercede and go after things in the spirit for our, our nation and our city and our world. And so I want to maintain that. I don't want to pull back from it. And I want to be open to all of the emotions of God as we intercede for things like what's happening uh, with the protests, like what's happening with COVID and lots of other things in our personal lives and everything else. So God, first of all, let's just start. God, I'm going to go a little bit just kind of talking about pretty basic ideas to start here. And then I'll uh, get into something that I think God gave me for this morning. So God asks us to control our anger. So let's just kind of build some foundations. Yes, he asks us to control our anger. Colossians 3 verse 8 but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. God wants us to control our responses. He wants us to be able to, um, to manage ourselves in a way so that we can be holy, so that we can be righteous, so that we can be protective and help other people and not hurt them. Things like that. He wants us to be able to do that well. 100%. And today is actually... Um, how do we get to a place where we can do that really well? How can we get to a place where we can kind of have righteous expression? Um, so uh, can we even have control, uncontrollable anger if God's telling us to control it, right? Like we're talking about uncontrollable rage and then we're saying God's telling us to control it. So which one is it? Can you have uncontrollable or is it inherently controllable because God told us to control it? 
If God would tell us to control, it must be controllable, right? So how can we have uncontrollable rage? And this is just this really awful thing to try to unpack all the time. I'm, I'm trying to, well, not all the time, but like a lot. I'm trying to unpack this for people because there's abuse and, and horrible things that happen. And I talk to people, I'm a psychologist, so I talk to people about these things. And the, the person who did the horrible thing will inherently say something. They're trying to get at it because they know they have to say it in the right way. But they're trying to say something like, um, if they just wouldn't act this way, I wouldn't be so angry. And they're trying to get at that in a way that sounds okay. You know, that sounds like legitimate because there is some reality there. There's something that made them angry. Um, there's a reality that, um, when somebody behaves in a certain way, when you have a trigger, you are more likely to respond with anger. There's a reality. There. Are you still culpable? Are you still blameworthy? Can you still go to jail for your response? Yes. But there's also that reality of if that thing hadn't happened, you may not have had that response, at least not at that moment, which is also potentially true. If you put um, a trigger next to somebody who's really triggered by that thing, they're more likely to get anger. There is a there is a relationship there. And I think it's kind of a disservice to just deny that and say, yeah, no, there's no such thing as an anger trigger. Because ironically, the first thing we do when we talk to somebody who has an anger problem is have them identify their triggers. So on one hand, we're saying, you know, like, oh, you're completely in control of your anger. Then the other thing, then the next moment we're saying, you need to control your environment because you can't control your anger. So let's identify your triggers and get rid of the triggers because you can't control your anger. So we're saying both to people. And, and it's, so it gets kind of difficult, messy and ridiculous, right? Um, so <clears throat> both are true. You can, you are responsible, blameworthy for the things that you do in your anger, 100%. And it's also true that our environment affects us and contributes to feelings of anger when we are, uh, and other feelings, um, and addictions and all these kinds of things, right? Like our environment affects us. And I don't think, I don't want to go to a place where I'm just denying one as if it doesn't exist because they both are there. Um, and so how do we understand that? Uh, how do we understand those two sides of it where we have these decisions in our anger and we also have these experiences that contribute to feelings um, that seem uncontrollable that like I can't I can't manage it so what I would do is I'd break it up into you can have something that happens in your environment that contributes to this internal feeling that you experience it's just like I, I see that thing and I have anger inside. It's it's an internal experience. And that relationship is not immediately controllable. You can't immediately just decide that you're not going to have that relationship with that thing that makes you angry. Um, so it happened. And then you have to find a way to manage that. And that's where the responsibility comes in. So yes, you get triggered. And you can manage those triggers so you don't have to deal with as much. Right? If I don't have as many triggers, I don't have to deal with as many impulses inside of myself. But then on top of that, I have this layer, you know, of like impulse control and all these kinds of things that I have to develop and maintain, which help me to manage that internal feeling that happened from that trigger. So these underlying emotional response and God asks us to manage both, I think, both. And we get so confused because we try to talk about them as if they're the same thing. Uh, we try to talk about anger and responses. And there's two things going on and we just get ourselves bundled up into this mess. So today I want to talk about the bottom one. I want to talk about the guttural one. I want to talk about, I see that thing and it makes me mad. I want to talk about the internal expression of feelings that happens almost automatically that we then need to have another layer where we kind of control it, right? 
um, where we manage our response, where we manage how we express it. The emotional push. I want to talk about the emotional push. Um, and I actually think because anger is so messy and we've talked about it for so long poorly, I'm going to actually talk about it a little differently. I'm going to talk about uh, disgust. Disgust is a feeling that is more like that internal impulse. We understand disgust differently. If I was to say, just control your disgust response, you wouldn't, you know, you'd think like, what are you talking about, Cyrus? I just get disgusted. I, get, I have a gag reflex and I just get nauseated. I can't control that. That's what I'm talking about in, ter in terms of that internal anger feeling. I'm talking about that feeling of disgust. And you might say, why are you going all the way to disgust to try to describe anger? They're really different. They're actually not that different. Anger and disgust are very related, which I, th I think is so interesting. It was just this last Friday, we were, um, I was talking on CGOB and I was talking about the relationship between disgust and anger. And I was talking about it in terms of what we're seeing in the US and now what we're seeing globally in terms of this racial uh, conflict and, and the anger that's happening there. And I mean, it's a horrible reality, but it's research. So I'm going to tell you, even though I don't, I'm disgusted by it in a sense, but um, it's still there and we're human and we don't want to know how we work. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about how human beings work in relation to disgust and racism. So um, if you take people and you threaten them with their health, if you threaten them, if you say, you know, if you just cue them, like, don't get sick, there's germs around here. So you say that to them and then you measure their levels of racism after doing that, after threatening their health. So they're health aware, they're aware of germs, they're aware of something in their environment. And they're like a little bit like feeling threatened. They want to get clean. And then you measure their racism. Their racism goes up. Isn't that interesting? I just find that so interesting. It's just like, I want to think about that for a long period of time. You threaten their health and their racism goes up. I remember just the other week, we were watching Inside Out with our kids. Uh, I don't know if you know what Inside Out is. It's a movie, it's Pixar. And what they, in, in Inside Out, they have this kind of picture um, where of this girl and inside, and the whole movie basically takes place in her brain. And there's a control panel and all the different emotions are inside of her arguing and talking and controlling her responses. And so the movie is about her getting older and managing her emotions and how her emotions change over time. But it's kind of played out in this drama through these characters in her brain, which are the different emotions. And Joy is the primary one who's in control. And I won't give away the movie, but um, so it's a good movie, I think. Um, and uh, so one of the feelings in her brain is disgust. Here she is. That's the best way to do this. Here's disgust. So this is the little character in this girl's brain who's in control of disgust. And this character is interesting because when they describe her role, the disgust role, they say that she's in charge of making sure that this little girl doesn't get poisoned. Right? And there's a kind of funny scene where she actually th sees broccoli and she throws a fit and throws the bro this motion takes over and she makes the little girl throw the broccoli away because it doesn't look like an animal or a train or something like this. And it's like, throws it away. And then she says to everybody, I just saved our lives. 
and because she just thought broccoli in some ways was kind of poisoning her it was this it was this vicious thing on the outside that she had to um get rid of in order to save her but it then it was interesting because uh it said she um protects this girl from poisoning both physically and socially so she's in charge of making sure that the girl kind of dresses appropriate socially and knowing which crowds to be a part of because if she doesn't do that it's disgusting it's disgusting if she if she goes with if she wears the wrong clothes it's just it, that's the same feeling so when you look at people and they uh and they respond and they, you make them disgust aware you emphasize you give power you put that little disgust lady in charge of their brain by saying you're going to get sick right now because there's health concerns around here this is a very messy place that disgust is in the control panel and then you talk about racism and disgust is right there you've emphasized and, and supported the disgust feeling all of a sudden they get disgusted socially and anything foreign anything that is a threat to them becomes more of a threat because disgust is in control so disgust is actually not just about the food that you eat disgust is about moral issues social issues environmental issues it's about so many things and disgust is actually part of racism and disgust is actually that part i won't say it's fully part of that anger impulse but it's part of that anger impulse that's just like you get disgusted by something and then you have this like angry response it's just disgusting and um so and so one of the things that people actually experience when they experience racism is disgust with the other race which is horrible it's just so horrible to think about that you could be disgusted with somebody just because of the color of their skin or or something about their heritage but that's actually what people experience they experience that feeling and it fuels other things and that's why i was saying to wilma when i was sitting down it's like i think there's a connection here between the trauma of covid making everybody super health aware and the social disgust that we're actually now seeing in the racism that people are experiencing now it's actually increased this internal feeling and anger and it then it's fueling this anger it's these internal triggers and people aren't aware that it's disgust obviously but it's they are heightened by these issues the police are heightened by the issues everybody's heightened by these issues the the whatever i mean it's a big mess right um and um and then it it produces a global produce uh, production of health fear will produce a global expression of a uh, racial tension and um anger because it fuels the angry response okay so i don't know if that seems completely out there for some of you um and i think oh and it was just so interesting i was praying about this yesterday i was praying about today and i'm like god why are you having me talk about nausea like why are you wanting me to talk about disgust uh cuz i was just it was just like everything was going back there i was trying to get away from it it's like i don't want to get i don't want to talk about <laughs> disgust on a sunday morning like this isn't fun you know um it's disgusting right like to to talk about it 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 kind of people are going to be <laughs> repelled by this message um but god i he was speaking to me and i think it's what he's speaking at least to me to maple crest to it's speaking about disgust and how he's disgusted he's disgusted by what's going on and he wants us to be disgusted too it's a godly feeling 
to be disgusted appropriately. In the same way that it's a godly feeling to be angry at times, to have righteous anger. It's so much cleaner to talk about righteous anger, but we could be saying righteous disgust. Righteous disgust. So let's talk about disgust. God's disgust in the Bible. Leviticus 18 verse 24. Do not defile yourselves in any of these ways because this is how the nations that I am going to drive out before you became defiled. Even the lands, uh, even the land was defiled, so I punished it for its sin, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. So he makes the land, so the land even has disgust. God makes people nauseated. In Job 20 verse 15, Though evil is sweet in, the, in his mouth, though he hides it under his tongue, Though he, loathe, though he is loath to let it go and holds it in his mouth, yet his food is turned in his stomach. It is the venom of cobras within him. He swallows down riches and vomits them up again. God casts them out of his belly. God uses righteous, he uses disgust to clean this person out. He has them vomited out these, these things. God himself becomes nauseated by, and we talk about it, we talk about sin as being horrible and wretched, but we also talk about it as being unclean, right? As being nauseatingly unclean and rotten. And um, Revelation 3.16, this was our first verse. Uh, so, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. In some translations, it says vomit. I am going to vomit you out of my mouth because you are disgusting, this is disgusting what you're doing to me. It is sin. It is unclean. These are all words that are used in the Bible. And, it, and it, um, it's this kind of, when you think about disgust, it is, a, it is a cleaning expression. It is a healing expression in response to something that is dangerous, in response to something that is, um, that is poison. And so sin is this dangerous, poisonous thing. And it makes people, it makes God want to vomit. It makes him want to get to clean. It's a natural, and I think that's a, a really good picture. We want our disgust response to be the same as God's because we want to, we want to experience, we don't want to, but we, when we experience sin, we want to have this natural cleaning response to happen. We just want to get out. I want to, I want to get it out, get it away from me. I don't want to experience this anymore. And um, so I want to talk about how to control the uncontrollable because disgust is much more, when I talk to people about disgust, they switch right away. When we talk about anger, they're like, well, that's controllable. When we talk about disgust, automatically they're like, that's not controllable. Our, our, the human go-to understanding of disgust is you can't control your disgust response. It's um, uncontrollable. But just like that internal feeling of anger, it is controllable. You can control your, gust, your disgust response, not immediately. But over time, you can change it. It's environmentally controlled. Okay, so uh, we can shape it over time. And uh, so let's talk a little bit about disgust. They're just like um, with anger. Anger and disgust are very similar. Both can be about safety. Justice is more of an anger issue. Poisoning is more of a disgust um, oriented thing. They're both affected by the environment. People are disgusted by different things. If you look at beef, for example, some people are disgusted when they eat beef. Other people love 
beef and they can't get enough of it. So it's environmentally controlled. It's, it's developed over time. It's not the same for everyone. It's a social issue as well. Like if I was to go to, um, to India, uh, like these, these responses are, are socially controlled in this, like, um, like we would, when you, ha when you see something socially, uh, in different cultures, it has different meaning. Um, and we can be disgusted by different things. So some things that are morally acceptable in one culture and morally unacceptable in another will become disgusting or even sought after. Uh, I won't get into it because it kind of oftentimes the, the places where you find the best examples for this are actually in kind of crude places, but in different cultures, different systems, different types of thinking, uh, or maybe I'll give you this example. You, you might think like it's disgusting to uh, to kill a police officer, whereas in Stony Mountain where I worked, it was like thought of as being amazing. Uh, it was like the, the top people killed police officers. It was just horrible. But um, so those kind of moral things could be very different for different people. And it can be moral. And um, when, and so, for example, taking advantage of very, very vulnerable people can be something that somebody is really looking for. They want to take advantage of vulnerable people and somebody else finds it completely disgusting. Uh, to do that kind of thing, to take advantage of vulnerable people in that way. And they can both, both anger and disgust can be like oh, very godly feelings. And so we can control it. God wants us um, to control it, but it takes time. Like I have clients who come to me and they have a fear of vomiting. It's actually not the like most uncommon thing to have a fear of vomiting and you might be like fear of vomiting I mean I, you know maybe you never heard I mean nobody likes to vomit right but you can have to have it to have a phobia of vomiting actually shuts down your entire life because germs are everywhere and if you're afraid of germs that's one thing but if you're afraid of vomiting it's very similar because you don't want to do anything that might make you nauseated and any experience of nausea will all of a sudden make you cut that part of your life out and so all of a sudden these people are staying at home they don't want to go anywhere they don't want to do anything that might make them nause nauseous and they're very sensitive to their feelings of nausea um, and uh, they become completely controlled by it. And what we actually do in these things is we actually present them with disgusting things. We, we work towards being able to, uh, to manage these things without becoming, without having a gag reflex, without having a disgust response. And you can actually desensitize people to disgust, which is why in our culture we see some people going after things that godly people would say are disgusting and they're actually going after this. God talks about dogs returning to their vomit. These people with unrighteousness, hateful kind of attitudes will return to their own vomit. It's like, it's so disgusting to somebody who is righteousness and God's law in their heart, but to them, they're going back to it as if it's something good to eat. It's so gross. And they would look at Christians and, and think that it's disgusting. Some of the things that Christians are doing and the perspectives that we have um, and they would label it all these kinds of different things that um, like the light has become their darkness. How deep is the darkness when the light has become your darkness? Um, and so we, we want to do is train ourselves because in the moment it's too late. When you've been presented with that thing and you're having that disgust response in an ungodly way, it's too late. You have that response. You can control it, which is something that other Part that I'm not talking about as much today, but that's very important. We can control those responses and our responses to disgust, our responses to the anger that we feel inside. But today I want to talk about that natural, immediate connection of like, yes, I have that disgust response. And it's like, shoot, that's not what I'm supposed to be disgusted by. 
Like when you see somebody doing evangelism and you feel disgust, that's not, that's not, I mean, that's not generally the way it's supposed to work. Like, um, but some, for some people, these things are very foreign and they've had these responses built over time. So you want to kind of shape that over time so that your disgust response lines up with the Lord. So that if you see something, um, like some of these atrocities that happen, um, in the, in the United States and you're not disgusted, there's something wrong. When, when people are, who are vulnerable are victimized, I mean, it's always messy, right? Like there's always multiple angles, but God is disgusted by people in authority taking advantage of their authority. We want to make sure that our primary emotions are there. And I don't want you to condemn yourself if those responses aren't where they need to be. And I want to give you hope that you can train them. I want to give you hope that through God's word and by living and following him, you can train your, not just your responses, because you know I have to respond in a different way because God's asked me to. I don't feel it, but I have to respond this way. That's great. Step one, 100%. If you're able to do that, the Bible talks about that because in some level, we're all going to be there for our t entire lives. It's very difficult. But what we want to do is we want to get to the place where we see injustice and it's disgusting. We want to get to the place where we see things that are outside of God's law and we just get disgusted. We want to, I want to get, I want to get the men of the world to the place where they see pornography and they are not attracted by it, but they get disgusted by it immediately disgusted by it. Not like a, Oh shoot. I, and that's disgusting. No, I want to get them to a place where, Oh, they just are disgusted by it immediately. That's their internal reaction. They have a godly disgust and anger at the injustice that, that's fueled by that, by that sin, by the, by the immorality of it. Um, and that's protective. It's protective. I mean, how are you going to go and be tempted by something that you're experiencing a disgust by, that you're experiencing a nausea? It's very difficult to kind of be attracted to something that's nausea producing. Trust me, it's very powerful. Um, I've had some negative experiences at some restaurants and it's very hard to go back. Like you get the nausea response is hard to overcome. Um, when you know it's inappropriate, like, it's like, that's a fine restaurant. It was like, you know, I can go back there and I just can't go back. So if you had that to pornography, it's, it's hard to get tempted. It's hard to get tempted when you have that nauseous response to that, um, to that thing. And, and in terms of intercession, if we can join our hearts with the Lord's, that's where we can enter into something called travail, which is awful and amazing at the same time. It's like tickling. Tickling is a feeling of awful pain and joy at the same time. And um, it's this conflicting brain response, which is just overwhelming sometimes. And it's the same with travailing where you're like, oh, I can feel the Lord's heart over this. And Oh my goodness, there's so much disgust or anger or pain over this experience and I can join with the Lord. But the, so you got this like this travailing burden for what you're going after with the Lord and that's hard, but you're with the Lord in it and you feel this joining and it's beautiful and so pleasurable to be joined with the Lord as you do it, as you enter into those sometimes extremely negative feelings, like the sadness and the the disgust and the anger over these things, but they fuel 
it's it's not that oh it's like oh I got louder so God heard me more or oh I'm more emotional so God heard me more but it's just that lining up of you with God's heart uh, helps you to pray what he wants you to pray and then it becomes more powerful because you're in his heart you can do it longer you can be more sensitive to God's will you're more lined up you're not having to fight against him because he's disgusted and you're not disgusted and then you're trying to figure that out with him or he's not disgusted you are disgusted I don't know like you if you can just line up with him it's it flows easier you can go longer you can be more in line there's more joy in it because you're not having to negotiate with him and figure out what he wants you just have that natural response to go with him and to go with his heart um, so how do we do this how do we get ourselves our broken hearts to a place where we have uh, that righteous response that's just like the Lord's. Um, it's not easy. Um, James 1. Uh, verse 22, I'll start there. James 1, verse 22. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So just before this, before this part where it's talking about being a doer, about um, and not a hearer, and looking into the law and persevering, it's talking about, I'll read from 19. Know this, my brothers, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Uh, for the anger of a man does not produce the righteousness of God. We don't want the anger of men. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And then it goes on, be doers and not just hearers. And if you persevere and look into the law. So the principle here is, in order to transform your heart, you have to be somebody who's able to look into the law. And the law might be confusing sometimes, but I usually, I, when I because the law is such a complicated word and has so many different things going on. Oftentimes, the, God's law, you can translate it or, or just paraphrase it as the, his ways. So it's, we need to look at God's ways. We need to face his ways. We need to take his ways in through our eyes. And then we need to persevere because like I said, you can't just transform this overnight. This is something you need to persevere in. You need to be transforming it. When people are getting, are changing their nausea responses, that's months and years of them training themselves to have a different nauseous response. Uh, sometimes you develop one very quickly, just one experience at a restaurant. You can be nauseated for a very long time, years. But um, if you are... Uh, training yourself uh, to take something that was nauseating and training you to to, to change that or vice versa. Um, you want to look at his laws and you want to be a doer of it. You want to enact it some way, which is what we do with people in those situations. We have them actually take steps towards something uh, to make themselves desensitize themselves to the thing that they want to be less nauseated to. Um, and so you have to kind of be doing it over time. You have to persevere in God's ways. And then you will be blessed. You will become more like him. You will have emotional responses that are more godly. 
and um, you will be blessed in the doing of that. Um, so we could try it together. We can do this right now. Proverbs 31.8 Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. That's Proverbs 31.8 Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. If you are filled with disgust for people who are fighting for rights, who are fighting for, maybe I won't put it that way, are fighting for themselves to be treated equitably. If you're disgusted by that, we have to remember that God says, open your mouth. You're supposed to speak for the people who can't speak, for the rights of those who are destitute. Psalm 82, verse 3 to 4. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. We're supposed to be there to deliver people who are weak and needy, who have less. We're supposed to be a voice for them. We're supposed to act, act on their behalf. And um, this, this, if you're in a position where you're with the Lord, you're automatically strong. You're automatically stronger. Um, you have God's righteousness. Even though you might be poor, even though you might be weak yourself, if you have the Lord, you are in a position of strength spiritually uh, compared to most of the world. And we need to be standing in faith. I mean, and we need to be standing in intercession for people who are destitute, people who are fatherless, people who are oppressed. Um, and we need to be disgusted when those things are happening. Um, <clears throat> anger is hard to understand. Um, it needs to be controlled. We need to have that cap on it. We need to be able to manage its response, how we express it 100%. And we also want to work towards having an internal experience of disgust and anger that is consistent with the Lord. That, that when we experience those things, we don't have to adjust them all that much. Because it's like, oh yes, I am disgusted by the same things God is disgusted by. And we need to be humble and meek and, and appreciate when we're off and ask the Lord to help us. Because it's not... We're all off. We're all going to have to train this in ourselves in order to be more consistent with the Lord. The dis our disgust response is trainable. We can train it in ourselves uh, with God's word um, and enacting that word. And um, we can train it over time. It can be transformed. Um, it can grow into something beautiful that protects us, that cleans us. Because um, that's what disgust and anger are meant to do. They're supposed to they're supposed to protect us, to clean us. They're supposed to create justice. And we want to train ourselves so that they're helpful and not something we need to manage. We want to go further than just managing what we experience. Um, we want to be able to just have, and this is where we come back to what Wilma's talking about, so much our uncontrollable rage is unhealthy human uncontrollable rage is unhealthy but god's uninhibited rage is perfect and as we enter into injustice as believers we want to be able to allow our anger and our disgust to run free 
as much as possible, obviously within like so many things. We want, we want that as a goal so that we can just respond as God responds. So we want to go to a place where it's like, oh my goodness, I'm having uncontrollable rage to, oh my goodness, God has so much for this right now. It is, I want to transform this through intercession. I want to transform it through action. I want to transform it because I am enraged by what's happening. We want to transform our uncontrollable rage, that rage that happens underneath, that an uncon- that impulse, that emotional response. We want to train that so that we don't have to control it. We can get to that saintly place of being allowing that uncontrollable rage in response to victimization to be godly. Okay. So... Oh, Natasha, if you could come on over, we're going to have communion and we're going to pray. I'm Yeah, so Lord, we pray that you would help us as a people uh, to move into a place where our hearts are lined up with yours. Uh, we pray that you would give us a place where our rage uh, would be against the enemy and his works, where our disgust would be for sin, and that, um, that these responses would actually help us to keep ourselves clean and create justice in the world. Lord, make us a people who respond as you respond. And help it to heal ourselves and the people around us as we line up with you. I don't want to be cold. I don't want to turn off everything just because it doesn't line up with you. I want to transform it into you. I want to transform it into you. So help us, Lord. Help us to not become a cold church. To become lukewarm. Help us to be fervent and lined up with you. Make a way, Lord for us to be fervent and lined up with you in the name of Jesus. Mm. Yeah. Well, if you guys have your communion with you, we're going to have communion together. Most dropped it. We are uh, so thankful. Do you want to just say a prayer for communion? Thank you, Lord, that we can have communion and those virtual, we're still together participating as community. And uh, we believe that you did this for us, Lord. You shed your blood, your body was broken and it was a beautiful sacrifice. Mm There's so much power in it. And you say, do this in remembrance of me. And we do it to remember you, Jesus, to remember what you did, your sacrifice and your promises. Not just who you were, but who you are and who you will always be for eternity. Amen. So, um, Lord, you have, uh, you broke yourself for us to help us to be clean, to help take away the sin in the world, to take away the sin in the world. So Lord, we um, thank you so much for 
your sacrifice and we remember you. If you're having any concerns about what we're doing, if you're not aware of what we're doing, I just encourage you to connect with somebody who's a believer who can walk you through this. And if you were a believer, I just encourage you to pray God would prepare your heart for this. Um, we ask for forgiveness, Lord. We clean ourselves. You're the one who can clean us, Lord. Only you. And we're sorry. We're sorry for our responses and our brokenness. Let's participate together. Hmm. Your blood is poured out, Lord. Let's drink together. We love you, Lord. We remember everything you've done. You're so beautiful. I pray that you be blessed, that you just feel the Holy Spirit coming over you right now. Lord, we commit ourselves to you. Lord, we pray for everybody involved. We pray for the victims. We pray for the people who are rising up and saying enough. We stand with the weak. But we also pray, Lord, for the police, even the police officer who had his knee on uh, George, Floyd. George Floyd. Wow. We just pray that um, you would redeem every part of this, that you would bring glory from the ashes here. Glory, Lord. Lord, we pray that there would be a movement of forgiveness. Oh, yeah. There, Lord, we pray that there would be a movement of forgiveness in the United States, around, that the next move would not be one of... of uh, that the next move would be forgiveness and love. Lord, that there would be a movement of forgiveness and love and redemption in the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray that it would start in the name of Jesus, Lord, that forgiveness would rise up, that there would be peace in the streets, peace in the streets. And not just peace, I mean like the protest end, that's not what I'm talking about, but I mean peace between races. I mean peace between people, that there would be not just shows of love and shows of peace, but that there would be actual peace. That people would have a health scare and their racism wouldn't go up because there is no racism to, to build on. Yeah. In Canada, too. In Canada, yes, we pray for peace between races, between people groups. Lord, make a way for peace and forgiveness. Lord, just 
I repent. I repent for every racist thought, every uh, negative, biased, um, un unworthy thought towards other people. That you would just um, help us to be redeemed and help us to be purified. It's so easy to think of different people um, differently, to think about them, to be biased, to have perceptions that are unfair. And I just pray, Lord, that you would clean me first. Yeah. Purify my heart and my mind. Help my thoughts to only be your thoughts. Yeah. I read something really interesting in Mm. Uh, my commentary the other day, I'm reading through Genesis. Like I started with Genesis 1. Mm -hmm. And it's a really great commentary. So I'm just slowly going through. I'm in like just starting chapter 6 now after a long time. So it talked about Adam and Eve when they ate the fruit. How, what just came of the knowledge, you know, trying to be like God. And, and it's interesting because I always thought of them covering to hide their shame because mm -hmm. they're ashamed. I'm Oh, I'm naked. But... The commentary looked at it. I think they'd agree with that, but it was, they saw their differences. Mm. Like it was. Yeah. They saw that they were different. Yeah. Mm. Like, and so they knew, they probably knew before they were different, but they were looking at that through the lens of walking in the garden with God and being in communion and relation, such close relationship with him. And then when they listened to Satan and they gave in and they're in a place where when they heard God approaching, they hid from him. Like mm -hmm. his heart must have so broken, like they ran and hid. So when they were in that place, when they looked at each other and they saw how they were different, mm -hmm. they tried to hide it and there was shame over their difference instead of it being a beautiful thing. Mm. That was real. And it was just interesting reading that it's an old comment. It, I don't know how old, but Mm -hmm. You know, it's not a new, it wasn't online. It wasn't like a blog that somebody's just writing now. They didn't write it through yeah, COVID this or current this George racism, Floyd yeah. racism incident, you know, but it, it's a couple of decades old, I'm sure. And so reading it now, I was like, oh my goodness, that was so good to read. It's so mm. interesting. Yeah. Father, help us to see our differences through you and your blood yeah. and your redemption. Lord, help us to have eyes that see people the way that you see them, have emotions that you have for them. Help us to see sin the way you see it. Help us to see people the way you see them. Lord, help us to understand, not be afraid. Mm. Well, um, oh, one thing that we didn't talk about is that we're not, oh, maybe we did. We did talk about it at one point. We're not having a service. Yeah, we're not having a service next Sunday. Um, and so um, there are people in our congregation who are having uh, stuff next Sunday. So if you'd like to stay connected next Sunday, um, we can let you know where those things are happening. And um, so we'd love to get together and and uh, be able to in, enjoy being in community in that way. And uh, so we really encourage you to to uh, stay connected you can ask for the newsletter on our website maplecrestchurch.ca sign up 
then you'll know what's going on. And uh, reply to the newsletter if you want to connect on uh, intercession uh, Wednesdays, or if you want to connect pre-service prayer, um, we'll send you out invitations to those things. Or if you want prayer yourself, if you want a prophetic word, you can go to maplecrestchurch.ca and you can find that there. So sign up for the newsletter. You'll also then see where you can connect um, next Sunday. And we're going to be having services probably about every second Sunday this way. And every other one, we're going to have other events in the community um, or people in the church are going to have events that you can connect to and, and uh, see each other. And so we want you to see each other um, and uh, so we can stay unified, stay connected, support each other, pray for each other, do all these mm -hmm. things face to face. We want to take advantage of what we can do. Um, so uh, we'll just pray uh, also for that, that Lord, that you'd bring people, that it would be safe, that um, people would be healthy through those things and that it would also just lift up mental health, that it would lift up our community and help us to begin enjoying each other's physical presence once more. And thank you for that. Thank you for the safety we have here in Manitoba right now to do that. Uh, such a blessing. 